Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my husband and co-host Jeremy and today we are talking to Iking. Um, this is going to be a super interesting conversation so thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed it. Jeremy's going to intro him properly and talk about how we got in touch with him um, but yeah enjoy the episode. Thank you Ro. Thank you guys for tuning in again and thank you so much Iking for being with us today for this episode. Well, thank you for having me. Um, so just to make it clear it's actually the first time <laughs> we're actually speaking um so the the story of this episode is back in april may time uh i was watching tea with gary v on youtube uh pretty much every day uh gary v gary v nature for the one who don't know him <laughs> and um during covid he created this show tea with gary v where for like an hour he do a Zoom call with someone and just talk about whatever business, life, things uh, for like 15 to 20 minutes. And Iking was one of the guests of the episode. And uh, you had a chat with Gary for like 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. and, and at the end, I, I heard your story, what you shared, and I sent you a message on Instagram saying like, shit, like, this is crazy. I'd love to get in touch. Uh, so I'm going to contact you and, and luckily you saw my message and you replied. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, how was it to talk with Gary V? I'm going to just start with that. <laughs> uh, so it's a blur talking yeah. to Gary V. It's a blur. Um, I, it was, it, so I worked the night before I didn't get home till like five in the morning and then I started working on TikToks. So I went to sleep like at six in the morning that day huh. and I didn't wake up until nine o'clock when the show started. And I'm like, oh, Zane told me to make sure that uh, be be on standby on Twitter, so that way I, I can send you early information. So I literally just rushed to the bathroom, <laughs> splashed water on my face, and rushed back and got my laptop set up. So I was still like in that morning fog, you know, getting your cup of coffee or two. So you know, I, I had that, but then there's this surreal of, oh, this is actually happening. And then when you when they send the stream yard, and you're like, oh, oh, this is real. This is happening today. <laughs> So it was really, it was very surreal, and I was really, honestly, I was really nervous because I didn't I know what. Imagine, was, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I, I really didn't know which direction. I'm a pretty impromptu type of person. Like I don't, I don't work well confined in the lines of a script, and you know, I, I can sway this way or that way really quickly based on how I'm feeling in that moment and what direction I feel is best. So I was like, I wasn't even sure if I was going to share my story or if I was going to retract it or, you know, how, so it was just, I was really nervous, but it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. Yeah, I like imagine. I learned more when I watched the episode <laughs> when right. I was thinking okay. than when I was actually there, I was just like during the headlights. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you look nervous. I remember you saying like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A few times. And he was like, stop calling me, sir. Like, <laughs> But then also, he's quite an intimidating guy. Like, he's quite like, shut up with that. Stop yeah. talking. Like, he's quite like... Mm -hmm. In your face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would have been shitting yeah, it as well. I think you did really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like saying there, if you could have seen from my waist down, my legs were just bouncing up and down <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> it came up here as long as my upper half of my body is still calm. and maybe rocks a little bit. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> yeah i can imagine i would have been freaking out as well so <laughs> you yeah. did amazing <laughs> uh, you're gonna call me out on my crap and be like you know what you're lame you know you're just making excuses i'm like you're not gonna do that we're gonna be like bro like 
you know, this is real. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know which one, which mood is he in today? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So to get back into it. So during this episode, uh, you gave some uh, little things about your story uh, growing up. And then Gary gave you advice about business. It was about LinkedIn stuff. Um, and I remember it was everybody else sucks. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. the title of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you shared a little bit about your, your, your story and, and that got me really like emotional in a sense. I was like, whoa, like, yeah. he- hearing your story is putting my life and other people's lives in perspective and you know like we tend to complain about a lot of things and then you hear other people inside okay like maybe i'm not gonna complain that much so um do you want to tell us we're gonna start from the beginning so right now you're 26 years old right i am right okay um do you want to tell us where you come from and um like where did you grow up at the beginning yeah so i'll try and keep it kind of abbreviated because I can get long-winded very easily. So, um, so I, my, I was born in Jersey, South Jersey, in a little country area called Violand. Um, I, I basically lived there until I was about three, and that's when my stepfather, he ended up stepping into my life um, and, and my mom's life. Um, I, basically, at about three and a half, four-ish, he took me, my sister, my mom, and my grandmother and moved us into Vetner, which is right outside of Atlantic City. We lived there for like a year, and then we went from hotel, we moved out into a hotel for six months. Hmm. Um, he got rid of the grandmother, so then it was just us kids and my mom. Lived there for six months, then we moved back into Atlantic City, um, and that's where we lived for um, 13 years. Now, the entire time, from the moment we, li- we moved out of Vineland with all my family, from the moment I was living in Vetner, the hotel, I wasn't allowed access to um, the outside world. I did mention that I went to kindergarten and my older sister, she went to first grade, but then that was it. He cut us off. And even like when we were living, we were going to those, like kinder, when we were going to school, uh, public education, he, he had told us like, you're not to talk to anybody. You can't socialize with the other kids. If you do, you're gonna get in trouble. I have people watching you. And they're going to tell me if you're, you know, interacting or playing with the other kids. So even like in the confinement of the classroom, I remember being petrified to interact with the other kids inside. And then it's kind of hard because they're trying to be social and they're coming up to me now. And I'm like, I'm si- I'm trying to sit by myself on a table, mm-hmm. like the opposite, you know, of kids when they get bullied and they move to a table by themselves. Right. Well, no kids are bullying me in school, but I'm trying to move to a table by myself. And then the other kids are coming to me. So then now I'm like interacting with them. And then I'm like stressed inside at that age of, oh crap, you know, I'm going to get in trouble. And I didn't, I kind of, after school year started, I didn't believe him to an extent because I was interacting with the other kids and I wasn't getting in trouble. Hmm. And then one day when he was driving me home, we were going, or we were going to pick up my sister, um, he was, he told me that I know you were talking to some kids there and you were playing with them. And you better never do, ever do that again and I was like oh crap he actually has people watching me okay. now I figured he probably spoke with one of the teachers and they're like oh he's progressing fine his social skills are great he's playing with the other kids and he used that so then like I remember when I went back to school for the whole next week 
I'm like sitting there watching the windows, trying to see if I see people peeking in, you know, watching them in the classroom. So that was kind of, then he pulled us out and then we had no access to the outside world. No, how old old were you when that started? With the school? Yeah. I was in kindergarten when it started. So I was like, oh, this was 90, 90, 98. So I was like four years old. I was like three and a half, four, something like that. Um, yeah, so that, you know, that, that's, that's my foundation. Mm. Um, my friend, what, that's what I based my life socially what, around. What, what was the, the reason, what was it saying to you and your mother as well about why you should not interact with, what, what was he scared about? Um, so at that time he wouldn't tell us, oh. he would just say it was because I said so type of scenario. Okay. okay um, I guess. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. It was like ultimately at the end of the day, it boils down to he's very, he's a very insecure man and he preys on other individuals. He has a, a pattern of, you know, and what I've, I've continued to dig about him and try to learn about him. That was his pattern his entire life, preying on, you know, he was on the, on the, on the week and trying to step above them and make them feel inferior. So that was his whole thing. Um, he didn't, at, at that time, as we grew up and we moved, when we, by the time we moved into Atlantic City, we're older now. So like I'm seven, eight, nine, ten, And like, as I want to live a normal life. Mm-hmm. Like I remember going to school, you know, I remember going to kindergarten. Um, so I know it's not normal to not go to school, mm-hmm. you know, and then trying to homeschool, you know, during that transition, we're not really, we, we, we don't have a tutor. We're not, we don't have any course material. And it's just like, oh, and, you know, we don't have to register with the school board. We do it the way that I want. I'm the principal here. Your mom is, he's going to be your teacher. But meanwhile, she's not really teaching that much. You know, she's teaching the basic up to maybe like third grade education. And then after that point, it's like, I, you know, there's really no information. He doesn't want to spend money on books or nothing. So like, I just want to live a normal life. So then he started saying, he came up with the, the story that people were trying to kill us, that there was the background of, you know, my mom being in the gang or something like that along those lines. And she pissed people off and now they wanted to cut, they were looking for her. And that's why we had to live a life right. in the shadow, basically. You know, with, with covers over the windows to block out all the light. That's why we're not allowed to look outside. That's why we can't go outside. When we would go outside, he would make her like wear a head covering and everything. So that way people would see her face because the if they seen her, then they were going to kill the whole family. So like that was, then that became my foundation, you know, after, after the school, you know, and being inside. And of course, you know, there's always the parents saying, Hey, you know, you gotta be careful. You know, you're young, you can be kidnapped, you know, that stuff. So you already have that normal fear. Yeah. And then you have this other much more obsessive. I'm watching you. Like even when we lived in Vetner when I was um, five, six, he told us that he had, camera set up in the room, microscopic cameras. He was in a PI before, so he had them installed so he can watch us and have people watching us. So I have lived my entire life basically under a microscope, feeling like I'm under, literally under a microscope every second, everything that I'm doing. So yeah, that's my background. Wow. Okay. What, what, um, so obviously you said that you were homeschooled, but not really. So were they both working or were they at home? How was... You know, was everybody at home all day, every day, or how did that work? 
So my stepfather, he would go home. He would go to work. My mom, she would not work. She was back in the house too, um, for her safety. Um, safety, in quotes. Um, and she was supposed to be teaching us. But again, like I said, after third level grade um, education, it was the it was that was basically the extent of what she could teach us. Mm. And then after that, it was like, well, we need books. Like I'm not going to keep teaching them how to multiply, how to divide. We need materials and he did not he didn't want to spend the money on the materials and he was you know the only person working in that working in the house so he made it very clear that he wasn't he wasn't going to get expensive materials yeah, so it became the money so yeah mm-hmm. hmm. so yeah it just made it difficult to learn in that aspect yeah so from the time you've been out of school up to 20, 20, 22 years old, you barely left the house or had any social uh, interaction with, with people then? Yeah, so um, we, after we got, pulled, I got, after I finished kindergarten, I can't remember if I finished or I was pulled out, but anyways, when he grew, transitioned us into homeschooling, um, when we would leave the house, we were, we had to stay within an arm's throw away from him, like arm's reach. We couldn't go, like, even let's say if we went to the store, every, the mentality that he drew into our brains was everybody around us was trying to kill us. Yeah. And the only way we can be safe is if we stood by him. So even if I was standing, he was standing here, I was here. If I wanted to go just right there, arms reach away, I either needed his per- permission or I need, like, basically I needed, like, his blessing mm-hmm. for me to do that. Even if it was right there, because if I now at that point, us as kids we felt like they were we were in danger, you know, and yeah. and that that dr- drilling into our heads that concept of danger, it literally it still plays with me today. It still plays in my head. I know that you know you have to be cautious. You know, the world is there are people who have malicious intent, but not every single person around you is breathing murder. You know, not not in the way that he. Um, expressed it and he caused us to believe. But I know that, you know, it's something that still, when I'm, I'm when I have my off days, when I'm not on my, when I'm feeling like I'm at my peak, those thoughts kind of, you know, I get freaked out and I get anxiety still internally because of that. Well, that's the thing as well, because it started at such a young age, you've got no reason like not to believe them because if that's your stepfather telling you, that's yeah. the authority saying to you, I'm trying to keep you safe, everyone's trying to kill you, you just, you just believe it, like, you believe everything your parents say so it's i don't know yeah you 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 didn't have any sense of normality so you obviously you trust the adults raising you when you're just a little kid you don't question what your mother or stepfather or father even is gonna say like you just say okay like you're an adult so you know better than i do so you just and i mean i didn't even really trust his opinion on things i trusted my mom's because like the way he came into my life was like he just shows up out of nowhere takes and I don't remember, you know, like, I don't remember, but he takes my mom on vacation, they come back, and then that's when the whole family moves. And then next thing you know, like, this is where I remember, like, my memory starts kicking in. When we move into the house, and he gets rid of our dog, and he has her put down, or he told the, he tells us that he was going to have her put down, because she was too sick, and she was like, please, or whatever. I don't know what happened with her, but that's my first memory of him taking my dog. Okay. You know, so I already didn't like him. And, and then, you know, you know, you get over it because your mom's like, oh, it has to be done. She's too sick. 
she, you know, and I don't think she was too sick. It was just he didn't want the dog. And then, you know, you know, I believe my mom. And then, you know, the next thing you know, he's like, don't call me Miguel. You're going to call me Pa from now on. And you don't have a dad. You're not going to call You're not going to call your dad, dad, because he's not a father. I'm your father. That's my recollection of him being introduced into my life or, or you know, in the early stages of him being introduced into my life. So like, as you know, as I kept growing, I'm like, I don't trust you. You're, you know, I don't like you really. Yeah. You're like, uh, you're not going to, I'm not, you're not going to respond to me if I call you by your name. Like, I don't know who you are from Jack. Like, so I, when it was my mom validating what he was saying, then that's when I was like, well, she must, she loves me. She really loves me. I know her, mm. you know, she, there must be some validity to it. And that, and that's, that's kind of the way the mindset that was going on until 2007. Um, and then around 2007, I started doubting him. I'm like, well, you know, I was, you know, I was getting to a point where I can observe, I can listen. And I'm like, stuff is not adding up. Like things aren't clicking. And then that's when he came home one night and he had, a, he had like 13 staples in his head, stitches in his lip. And he's like, see, I told you, you know, they tried to kill me. And I'm like, oh, this is real. You know, this is, they actually tried to kill him, you know, and in his mind, and the story he told was he got jumped and they, they busted the back, they busted him in the head with the butt of a gun and, you know, whatever else, because he was like, he, they, our enemies, enemies, in quotes, caught him in violence, you know, so, and that was, that was like hot territory that we weren't supposed to go and he wasn't supposed to be there either. It wasn't safe. So like that drilled into my mind even more so. Like, oh, you know, I don't care, like, what the scenario is, whether it's the specifics are real, all every detail, I, but, like, the grand idea of people trying to kill us is real. So it, that definitely didn't help the cause of, oh, you know, this, is, this man is full of crap and lies. And you said at the beginning that uh, you were with your grandmother and then he kicked her out. Uh, did you see your grandmother during this time or she was out of your life? No. So she was out of our, after he had her leave because she wanted to keep visiting her and the kids. We, my mom has a big family. It's like 13 kids oh, wow. or 11 kids, something like that. So she did not just want to live with her youngest child. She wanted to see all her other kids and her grandkids on there and that, you know, every, everyone else back home. Hmm. And he didn't want that to happen. He didn't want her to go to church. He just wanted her to be locked in the house. He had deadbolt locks um, that required keys to open on the front and back doors. You know, we went in Vietnam, we lived on a fourth story and we lived on the third, the third and fourth story. So there was no way, like, if you thought about going outside, mm -hmm. like getting out a window, that wasn't going to happen. So it just, um, he kicked her out and like, we seen her maybe a couple of times after that, but it was like, really like, it was in violence. So it was like, you gotta hurry up can't get seen. It has to be like odd times of the day. Was he would scope around before he actually sat and parked. So it was just like a huge, like stressful ordeal. Just the thought of going to see family, mm. you know, or see my grandma. It's like, oh yeah, it's my grandma, yay. But then it's like, there's so much stress. And you know, he was talking Spanish with my mom and you just can tell that they're arguing or they're upset mm. or they're scared. And it was like, okay, like why, you know? So I did see, that's a long-winded answer to no, yeah no. i did see her sometimes yeah but not much yeah she she was not yeah, yeah in your life not day not day. a constant yeah. in my life yeah and and in terms of you know like uh view only 
on the outside in terms of internet, uh, phone, TV, all these ways you could communicate. Did, did you have that or that was cut off, like completely cut off? So he had, he and my mom had a burner phone so that they can call each other. Um, we weren't allowed to touch the, the phones um, unless we were given permission. Um, he became at, at one point, at one point, her phone would, he took even her phone away from her and became so paranoid and controlling. Um, he even got to the point that he would sleep with shorts on, put the phones in the pockets of his shorts and then put pool dress, um, sweatpants over. So that way nobody had access to the phones. Um, TV, it, we had cable, but there were some issues that came up with people being able to that find us because we had cable. So he cut the cable, switched us over to VHS and antenna. Um, I did forget to mention on Gary that like in 2000 and I think it was like 2011 or 12, he did bring internet into the house. Mm. He brought broadband and he would always take the internet away as soon as, you know, he had to be there at first for the first couple of months. And then he delegated it to my mom and, and like it was her, she had to watch us by our side the entire time we were on the internet to make sure we were looking up anything like areas or locations or anything that can potentially oh, um, yeah. inform us or enlighten us. Mm -hmm. So um, I just, you know, we did it. So it was very difficult to communicate, even if we wanted with the outside world. So what, what was your, like your normal day? Like when you were like a, t a teenager, you know, let's say like 14, like tw between 12 and 15 years old, you know, when you, when you're done just playing with everything around the house, like what, what was your day about? Like what were you doing? So the, okay. So let's see, let me try to rewind in my mind. So the, <laughs> like those the years, like I've been so busy moving, trying to move forward and just like grow up 18 years and four years of time yeah, trying to get that, like, you know, all just... that experience. I haven't had time to really think back mm. to, you know, like remember, um, so the 13, 14, uh, what those years looked like was, um, so he would, uh, he wanted us to stay up late, um, preferably stay up late, wake up late. The later we woke up, the better. That was Why? his, um, he never gave an exact specific reason. And my, I think the purpose that he wanted us to wake up later was because he did smoke weed and he didn't want us to know. So he would, the early, the later we woke up meant the earlier, you know, he would have more time to smoke weed in the bathroom, um, without being caught. Um, so my the routine would be like, go to sleep three in the morning. Okay. You know, he would bring like when he did bring, I remember at that time he did bring like duties of like the Jeffersons, like some old sitcoms from back in the day. Yeah. Um, we would stay up till like two in the morning watching that. And then it would be like, I, I remember he didn't want us to get up earlier than 10 o'clock in the morning for a period of time. Um, and once we started going to sleep later, it became later in the day. So noon, one o'clock started becoming the, the average um, for us to wake up. And then I got tired of that because I'm just a very workaholic type of person. I'm very like a go, go, go. I might be low key, have some ADHD. So I'm like, I can't, I'm tired of this. I, I gotta be productive. I'm a very results driven person. Um, so like I wanted to wake up, you know, I would try and get up earlier than everybody else. Um, any source material I might have found online, um, that had to do with anything with science, whether I understood it or not, um, whether I remember at one point we did find some stuff, um, 
with some science materials, but they were like college level physics, but it was free. So like, that's what I had to study for my science. Right. You know, that was my, so like I would try to set some kind of structure in my life so I can feel productive. I would be wake up, try You know, I couldn't leave my room until they allowed me to. So I would just jump straight into my reading or my whatever it was that I was trying to learn that day. And then, you know, I'll come out, get breakfast, then I'll go back to my room at that, you know, 14 year, because like, I believe it was 12 to like 16. I spent about 70% of my time in my room myself um, because he was just being way too difficult. So, um, yeah, so learn, I would try to learn and then it would just be like, I like, honestly, just fill, fill my time with anything, whether that was drawing or back to reading or, you know, I remember at that point I had, um, had some wood from a, a box screen that we tore down and I was trying to carve with that, you know, carve stuff out of it. Mm. Um, just anything, like I said, to occupy my time because days get long when you don't have stuff to do, especially if you're a results driven type of person. Yeah. And you have three sisters, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. And you are the oldest or where, where are you at? I'm the second to the oldest. And then okay. I have two younger than me. Okay. And uh, how was your your relationship with your sisters during this time? Were you really close, the four of you? Or you no, we couldn't. Separate? Um, we couldn't. We couldn't. We couldn't um, develop a close relationship. Because first off, um, when we were getting along pre-12, um, that was, you know, we, we were getting along, we would be able to intermingle together. About 12, when I turned 12, roughly 11, 12, he basically wanted me to stay in my room. He got a chain that he wanted to put inside my room. He wanted me to chain myself, chain the door shut behind me so that way he can hear if I was leaving my room or if anybody tried to open my door, like if any of my sisters tried to open my door. Um, so I couldn't really, after that, I couldn't really interact with them until, like I said, and then 16, I kind of got rebellious mm. and I started coming out of my room. Like if I knew they all were downstairs, then I would just like open my, open my door, leave my room and then start working my way down the stairs quietly and hope nobody, like he didn't realize or mom didn't realize that I had come down without asking for permission. Mm. Um, because then it would have just been like hell if otherwise. So I kept doing that until basically I, he wouldn't realize it. I was very stealthy about it. Mm. So he didn't realize that. And then it would just be like, oh, you know, I call myself Sam because that's my middle name. Um, we'd be like, oh, Sam's down here. How do you get down here? I'm like, I, I knew everybody was down here. I heard everybody down here. So I came down. And then that kind of became the normal. Like I would I would be allowed to leave my room um, if I knew for a certainty nobody was upstairs. None of them were upstairs and everybody was downstairs. So did he treat you differently to the sisters then? Because it sounds like if yeah. you were all downstairs, he treated you worse, I guess. Then? Worse. Yeah. Yeah. So they were allowed to free run the house. So like if they got, like if we went shopping, um, they would go, they would get a budget allotment every year. Or he would get a set allotment of money every year. And it would be for them to get clothes because it would outgrow their clothes. Um, that would, that it would be like $300 or something like that. To divide between the four kids most of the time the 300 dollars or whatever set amount would go to my sisters and then i wouldn't get anything so i remember from like 
12 to like 14, I wore, like, I had the same wardrobe, you know, until like my clothes started getting, and make, I started getting holes in my clothes. Then I'd be like, oh, it's time for him to get a pair of pants. Oh, get him one pair of pants. And that's what he has to wear. So yeah, he, he definitely treated me different. Um, you know, he had responsibilities for me. Like I would have to pay attention to how much, uh, water was in the house, you know, get gallons of water, how much toilet paper, you know, dish soap, hand soap, any, basically any household supplies. It was my job to make sure we didn't run low on it. And when we did, I had to tell him it was my job, which was very, it was stressful because then I tell him and then he'd start yelling at me because he'll be like, I just got water, you know, yesterday, or I just got toilet paper a couple, you know, a couple of weeks ago. What are you talking about? We're running about, and that's impossible. You guys are wasting it. And also, so definitely they didn't get that brunt of having to deal with him yelling at them and all that stress. So definitely I, I and then of course, and then they would get all the, all the stuff, like a lot of the resources, a lot of the clothes, food, stuff like that. So it was definitely different separated treatment. And then in terms of like food, like you just mentioned, were you all eating the same things? Were you eating good food? How was, how was that? So food was, we would eat the same thing for the most part. Um, quantities would be different, definitely. Um, but I, unfortunately, I feel like I'm so small because I would sacrifice a lot of my food. Um, so, so that way they can, they would, they, they would have more or I would eat less because even though, you know, I'm a grown kid, you know, you know, if I eat too much, then it's going to be a hassle of, oh, the food's going too fast, whatever. Um, quality, so food, it would vary. Um, sometimes, you know, you do groceries for like two weeks support, you know, it's kind of like, I feel like quality of food is kind of like a rough area to measure, but overall it would, it would be a pretty balanced diet and it would be like stretches out as long as you can, even though, you know, we're getting ex all this money from the state and, and food stamps, hmm. like, and then we would get a portion of it. And I don't know what he would do with the rest, but like, it was, it was, it was when I look back, I guess, it, it's just, I'm like, what were you doing with everything? <laughs> like, who gave you the, the, the book, the, 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 book, the budget to balance and the books mm -hmm. about like, who gave you that? Because you, stuff didn't, doesn't add up. Yeah. And, um, so this whole thing ended when you were 22 years old, right? And your stepfather got arrested, if I remember, right? Yeah. So what, what, what happened? What led to the, to the arrest? So my little sister, she actually, um, one day she, 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 it was a process of a, a lot of arguments between him. Um, he's her father. Um, between my mom and my stepfather and her at the time, she also wanted a lot of stuff. Like she's, she's a bit like me. She's like a bit of a go-getter, um, kind of ambitious, kind of like I want what I want. And like, there's nothing that should stop me from getting it as long as I do the work. And, you know, so she got tired of living under that type of controlling environment. So she actually mustered up the courage to hop out one of the windows, the downstairs windows. Um, she ran away to Philly. Yeah, she, she somehow got somebody to allow her onto the train from Atlantic City to Philly. And she started wandering the streets of Philly up there on 30th Street where the train ended. And basically she got, um, they somebody found her. They, they put her into like a shelter or whatever. Um, and then my mom and stepfather were looking for her. 
They put a bunch of flyers out everywhere. Um, they found her, brought her back. Then the, the my mom and stepfather, after the first 24 hours, they went to police, filed a, a report of missing child or whatever, because they were afraid they were going to get, you know, in trouble for not doing that, or it's going to turn out worse, like they didn't even try to look for her. Um, then when they found her, and, the, you know, she had to come back, because she was a minor at the time, she was only 15, they had to release her back to the parents, um, but the detectives sent them home, and were like, we're going to stop by the house, we want to figure out why she ran away, we don't want her to continue doing this. Yeah. So when they came, knocking on the door, my stepfather was like, everybody, you know, he made everybody huddle down and Hall of that a downstairs hallway, and we were all like holding. He's like, "Don't let nobody move. Everybody, stay quiet. We're not going to answer the door." Um, at this point, his theory of enemies shifted to the idea. He never explicitly said that my mother had a warrant, but he was like, "If the cops ever get it, ever poof get her ID or anything like that, she didn't have ID or took that away from her." But like, if they ever find her, she's basically going to get arrested. Mm -hmm. I'm probably going to be arrested. Or if I don't get arrested, I'm going to have to take care of all you guys. And the family's going to end up getting torn apart. So he was like, nobody move. We're not going to talk to the police. We need to get a lawyer. I need to get, a, I need to lawyer up before anything, because if I go talking to them, it's going to be too late. And then I'm going to be in jail trying to find a lawyer that I trust. So we were like, okay, he made us pack that night, whatever we could. And then we, after the detectives left, we left like two o'clock in the morning. We went all the way up to like East North Jersey, Tom's River, or not North, but like Central Jersey, Tom's River, stood in a hotel for a couple of days. Then we moved even further North towards a little town called Avon. And that's where we, we stood in a, a winter rental for, that was September to December. And then that's when the FBI task force ended up finding him and um, raided the house and arrested him. Oh. Wow, okay. And then your life started then? No. In a sense, no? Not yet? <laughs> it did, but my mother, she was just equally at, whether it was on purpose or she was just conditioned this way, her mindset was equally aligned to him. Uh, so I still I kept living with my mother until February. Okay. So even though I had some ability to go outside if there was an option to go outside or not i wasn't going to go outside because i was too afraid the only time i went outside was for stuff like um to come, you know go with her my mom and my sister to go see my other two sisters like that would be like the marrying or if we had to get food like it, it's because absolutely we had to go outside there was nothing else that we can do so my you know even though it kind of began I was still mentally, I was still caged. Hmm. Everybody who looked at us was trying to kill us. Everybody who looked at us was thinking about how to kill us or how to kidnap us. Or, or is that our enemy? Does that person know, you know, the people that are trying to kill my mom? Hmm. You know, that type of mind, you know, yeah. that type yeah, of mindset sense. prevailed until February of 2016. Okay. And what, what clicked then in February? Uh, February 2016, my stepfather made bail and he got out. Oh. of jail um my mom she went she rushed out to go see him um she was acting funky and strange and wanted, didn't want to answer her call didn't want to um she she just didn't want to like talk to us and she'll be like i'm good i'm good i'm good don't talk to me i don't want to hear what you have to say or we're like yo like everything we thought about him turned out to be lies like 
everything he's saying and lies. Like, I don't even know who to trust. Just like, stay here with us. Let him go to his family. He can stay with them. And she's like, I'm fine. I got to get off the phone. I can't talk. And we're like, what do you mean you can't talk? Like, hmm. that, you know, you, you, we would be in touch all the time. Like, whenever one of us left the house, like, you mean you can't. And so when, that night, we were like waiting for her to come back because she was supposed to come back. She never came back that night. Um, she's, so she's like spent the night with him or whatever, wherever they went. And then, you know, we thought we seen him lurking around the house. So at that point, um, we called some of the case managers or um, case workers that were helping us and they ended up moving us out, brushing us out with a backpack of our clothes because they weren't, they, they, they were unsure if he was the type of person desperate enough to actually try and get rid of evidence. Um, and like that was early in the stage of. Um, then the state trying to build a case against him for child endangerment and some other issues, other stuff. So they were like, we got to get you out of there. So we left that house and that's when, you know, things kind of changed perspective wise because we didn't have the influence and thoughts of mom. And even when he was in jail, she was communicating with him. So her mindset was very well aligned with his and controlling. Like for instance, they couldn't find our, she couldn't find our social security cards. Um, and we're like trying to, the, the state's trying to help us get our IDs so that we can move forward. We're trying to get our GED and get into like housing program or anything to help us move forward in life. So we want to live in the streets. And she's like, oh, I can't find it. And she's like, searched, he had a truck of Ford Expedition that broke down in the back. And he used that as a garage. She sat out there and searched it in quotes and she couldn't find it. Um, and my, and then later on, I found out that it was right, you know, it was right inside and it was easily accessible. Yeah. And it was because she was so in touch with him and she was basically cutting herself and hurt, you know, hurting us because she still had his mindset. Hmm. It's, it's really impressive talking to you right now, seeing where you are now, uh, considering all that, uh, you have so much like perspective and awareness and uh, it's i mean I, I i can't imagine at all like growing up in this environment as a kid because like i said you didn't have any sense of normality so that was your normal uh like you uh, what was the process of getting out of this cage i would say because you you had to unlearn everything you've been told you had to like trust people when when you've been told for 20 years that everyone wants to kill you and suddenly you have to trust a bunch of strangers that must be scary as hell at the beginning like really scary yeah absolutely like even even you know and and even like the police that came and and they were like uh, the detectives and everybody they were so patient calm kind of nice like even like that it was do i trust you are you gonna kill me you know, I know you're a cop, but they're dirty cops, hmm. you know, are you going to take me, you know, and it's like late at night and I don't know where we're going. I don't, I like, I, I didn't have any perspective of where we were location wise in general. Like when we, even when we would leave and I say, if we got on a highway or if there was a, a place that said where we lived, he would make us close our eyes. So we didn't know where we were living at. So it was like, I don't trust anybody. Anybody can be out to get me. So yeah, it was really, it was really, really. Like I still, I still, you know, I feel like it's, it's, it's still a struggle 
with trust. I still struggle with trust. And then it's like, how much of it is actually normal trust issues? Mm. I know a lot of people have trust issues. Yeah. yeah. How much of that of the trust issues I have is normal, and how much is of it is actually because where I was brought up. Mm. So then, it's trying to trust everybody because I want to unlearn the habit of not trusting. But then being like, you have to have a normalcy of not trusting too. Yeah, not it's like too trying to find. It's like a huge. It's like trying to find a balance in this huge, vast ocean of like <laughs> yeah. convoluted confusion. So I was like, you know, you just live and you learn to stumble through. And mm. oh, I trusted too much. I trusted too little. You know, and and trying to find that balance in every relationship. Yeah, and no, I guess it's just trial and error. You try and and you mm -hmm. see what what happens. And then... if you live to the next day, they show you. Hey, you know what? You learn from it. Yeah. Tomorrow's a new day. How, talking about trust, how have you gone about finding new friends? Because obviously, with the trust issues, but then also with not really socializing as a child, that must have been hard to interact with people who weren't your family. Um. So. For finding friends, um, I turned to, like, I knew God was real, so I turned to the church, um, I turned to the Bible, um, that, I did that, um, I also, like, I did family was, uh, I, like, I was raised to think family was trying to kill me, so I didn't trust family, it took me a while to develop trust with my family, um, besides my immediate, like, my, like, my one sister that I had at that point, um, And even like like trust issues even um, spanned across. I had issues trusting her because you know people change. I don't you know I don't, I don't know like so it, it's it's a it's definitely a fun process of learning to trust people. It's definitely made me very observant and like um, like when I just started this job, somebody was one of my coworkers. I mentioned like when you meet new people, how do you you know judge them? I'm like I don't judge people. I just I base what my way I feel about them. I base it off. I'm getting from them, you know, uh, well, basically like I interact with them a little bit. I listen, I watch their behavior mm. and then I let the type of energy you're portraying tell me how I'm going to proceed with you, whether I'm going to proceed cautiously with you, whether I'm going to trust you or, you know, and then because I'm so not trusting and I'm very meticulous <laughs> to a fault, like, Then I start strategizing in my head. How am I going to get to, you know, I, I start setting like markers. So I'm going to interact. I'm going to, you know, talk with them about this. And then later on, I circle back to that conversation, you know, and ask them a different way and the same question, see if their answer changes, mm, you know, okay. and, and if they're lying, it's going to be hard for them to catch and say the same right. thing twice an hour apart. And, you know, and then and that's how I tend to build my trust with people, which is very exhausting. But it's a way for me to feel safe. And and lately, like I've been just relying a lot more. I've done that so much over these last four years that I've relied a lot on my energy. Hmm. Uh, the vibe that they're giving me, the way they talk, I could almost instantly determine I'm not going to get along with you or your personality is too abrasive and you're you're the type of person that you're willing to cut everybody else off in your your own skin. Hmm. You know, so It's definitely now at this point, it's definitely, I, I, I have a pretty good sense of judgment when it comes to who to trust, who not to trust. Mm. Uh, don't answer if you don't want to, uh, but I feel like, what about dating? That must be fucking confusing when you suddenly, definitely. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> definitely. Uh, it's already a very difficult <laughs> in, uh, topic. 
it's a very difficult aspect of life. Yeah. Um, then to add to the mix of it, um, romance and, you know, to be in a relationship with somebody, you have to trust them a lot. Yeah. And to give away, I remember just recently I started trying to move into that space um, because it just, you have to give so much trust up to a person and you have to become so vulnerable with them and know that they're not going to backstab you. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to do anything intentionally malicious towards you. So it's def it's definitely confusing. I try, I've, you know, it's, it's somewhere where I'm still, I'm in that beginning phase of learning to trust people. I'm in that beginning phase when it comes to dating and relationships, yeah. uh, you know, in that, in that aspect of my life. It's that trial and error type of phase. And I'm like, oh, I'll live through it. I'll get, I'll get up tomorrow and yeah. <laughs> I'll try and, and recover from that crash and burn and then, you know, uh, carry it on into the next relationship. Hopefully yeah. I'm a stronger, better person. And what's your relationship with your sisters uh, right now? Um, it, it's, it's difficult. We all are progressing at different rates. Mm. Um, I feel like progress is never a straight line to the top. Yeah. I feel like it's ups and downs. Yeah. So, mm -hmm, exactly. And that's, um, that's how their progress has been. Um, I'm, I'm, unfortunately I'm a lot more, well, fortunately for me, I'm, I'm a, I'm a very like a go-getter type of personality. Like I'm, I'm like, if I can control 10 things in my life and I got 15 in that going on in them and five of them are going wrong and I have no control over them, well, I'm going to control all 10 as best right. as I can. And, Some of my sisters aren't that ambitious um, or, you know, they go in waves of the ambition of trying to get their stuff together or trying to change the way they're thinking and they perceive the world and, you know, they go ups and downs. So, like, I have good good months and good weeks and then I got bad months with some of them. Um, like, my older sister, we, we're at, like, right now we're on our, uh, a, a downturn in our relationship. Um, we're doing good and then we're probably in about three or four months we're start trying to build the relationship up again mm. and we start making some progress. This is my sister right under me. We just started our relationship again. We're coming out of a down rift with her and then my youngest sister, um, she's a lot like me. You know, like she's always working or trying to do, do doing modeling gates and mm. stuff like that. So like our our times like <laughs> they clash. Like when I'm free she's working. Yeah. When she's free I'm working. <laughs> Um, she's probably the one that I've had the longest, uh, closer relationship with because she's more, me and her, we're on the same type of frequencies. We're on the same brain wavelengths mentally, our thinking, um, of, you know, of making progress and making strides and, and, you know, understanding that everything that we believed was false. Mm. You know, it took me longer than it took her to realize that. But now that I'm there, we're both on the same level ground. So um we're i feel like we're probably the most closest mm. and like we get we get we get along the most than my other two right now yeah it must be nice to you at least to have that that yeah i mean she can rely to your story if you if you need to talk to someone she can understand how you're feeling and and at least you have some foundation and and some some base that you can yeah that are here for you yeah it's important um i don't know if Again, this might be a bit of a personal question. Did you have counseling or therapy after you left that situation? I did. Um, so the Dreamcatchers program that I worked with the FBI um, Task Force, they 
they had got me in for therapy with one of the counselors there. Um, I did that maybe, maybe for three, four months, something like that. I don't remember specifically, but um, then she ended up moving um, because of an employment opportunity. And then I didn't go back to therapy for a while. I just chugged through myself mm-hmm. on my own. And something I mentioned, uh, I, I didn't mention that I mentioned earlier was when we moved into the hotel immediately when we got out of the situation, um, we had just, we had just, um, I had just opened up my heart to like trying to trust my dad um, because, you know, he was one of the people that was trying to kill my mom and trying to, you know, ruin our lives. So after digging around and asking different family members and, you know, trying to look into his history and I'm like, you know, he's a pretty straight up guy, you know, makes a young man, he made mistakes, but like he's 40, he was 40 at that time, I think. We're, you know, 44, and he's like, you know, he's got his life together. And he, you know, he, he was in jail for a brief period of time. He got out on good behavior. He joined the boot camp program so he can get out to get back to his kids early. And like, so at that, when I went into the hotel, he had just got us a laptop. And I went online um, and I was like, I need to learn. I need to learn anything I can about the brain. Because the brain is a computer of the body and it controls. Um, of the way we think. So I went on to edX.org and they had a course on Psych 101. I was like, I don't know. It's free. I don't have to pay for it. I'm going to learn. I got to be, you know, I'm a productive results driven person. So one, he's going to give me something to do while I'm in this hotel while we're sitting here trying to get our IDs made, get our social security cards again. It's going to give me, you know, something to do. And second, if I'm able to pass this, it's going to show me I can like succeed uh, academically and in, in the real world because I, I just had whatever I grew up with, at, you know, homeschool, which wasn't anything real in my mind. And then third, it's gonna, I'm, I'm going to be able to understand at least to a better extent how the brain actually works, how the psyche works. Yeah. And I feel like I've learned, I learned a lot on that course. And then between that and one, it was kind of funny because I was able to talk with my therapist and psychological theory and Pavlov's dog <laughs> and different, uh, 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 psychologist in history and, and we were able to have those conversations so like, you know, it's true. And I'm like, I think this theory is interesting and really stood out to me because, you know, like I remember specifically like Pavlov's dog, I'm like, that was a great theory and the association, I'm like, I need you to help me figure out how to use association to rewire the way I think. And we were able to sit down and brainstorm and then by, by the time she had left, um, I felt like I had such a, I had a decent self-awareness of myself that I didn't have to go back to therapy until, um, a couple of, um, until I guess like 2018, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I got out of 2016 and I went back to 2018 because I had recurrent um, stuff that was coming up mm-hmm. and re-traumatizing me. And, um, how's life now? What, what do you do? Uh, what's, what, Obese, what's your interest? What do you like? What, what's your plan? Life, life right now is busy. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's busy. So I'm, um, I'm working two jobs. I work full-time job, part-time job. Um, a day I work in a doctor's office, um, answering like medical questions and trying to, you know, keep everything and, you know, and, you know, keep patients happy. Any questions, keep the medications filled. Uh, follow doctor's protocol, stuff like that. 
and then most just um uh, and then five days out of the week in the at night I'm also I'm clean uh office cleaner. So then I'm going to do that for about four hours. Mm. So I'm working like about sixty hours a week right now. Um like yesterday like I, I apologize for my voice early on before we got on to the recording because like I only slept two hours last night by the time I finished with work and everything. So it was like it's busy. And then I'm trying to, you know, at the same time, keep up with my workouts and keep up with social media, video editing, or trying to put some some form of content out that represents what I believe in. And it's like a thought that is that I have going on in my head that day or that week. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about that? Because I've, I've seen like on, on Instagram, you try to, you, you're doing some like working out content. You work out a lot, uh, but also you, you're trying to help people out, uh, expressing the feelings, etc. Uh, I've seen recently you posted about that you lost a bunch of memos on your phone, uh, <laughs> like some content stuff. Like that. What's uh, I'm not. It's a cheesy question. I like, know what's your dream, but like, what what do you want to do? Like, what's your what's your hustle right now, and what are you aiming for? So, my my my, my passion is actually fitness and nutrition. Hmm. Um. I, a lot of times, I didn't even realize just recently, just in the last year, I started really paying attention to how a lot of people aren't in tune with their soul and their psyche and who they are. A lot of people don't have that self-awareness that I'm, I fortunately have been gifted with, uh, or I, maybe I worked hard early on to be self-aware. Um, so I, I feel like you, you have to tie all three of them. You have to tie nutrition. You know, I didn't realize, for instance, how important gut health is, how 75% of your serotonin levels are created in your gut. Um, you know, we always think of that kind of stuff in the brain. And then I'm doing further research and like how depression is tied to, you know, your gut health a lot of times. And people can actually be treated. Their gut is thrown off balance and henceforth their mood is thrown off balance and how treatment, mm. getting their nutrition back, getting their gut healthy. And it's just like a, a cycle of, you know, how the American culture of being uneducated when it comes towards what you put in your body. Yeah. We think if it's sold in a grocery store, that is good for us. Yeah. You know, when it really isn't. So my, my dream in five, I don't, I, I don't, I really don't like doing five year dream and five year goals because that's yeah. like so far out, yeah. you know, five years ago, I wouldn't have seen myself in Florida. Like yeah. five years <laughs> ago, I pro I would see myself dead, you know, um, I, by this time because the way things were, or, it was either going to be I'm dead because my stepfather killed me or I killed, I tried to kill him because I was so fed up or it was going to be somebody killed me because the world is trying to kill us mm. or things are just going to take radical turn and it's going to get better and I'm going to be living a great life, which is the way things turned out. So like, I don't really plan for five years, but if I had to say like, I would prefer to have a studio that kind of in, it teaches people not only to work out, but also to pay attention to their nutrition in a practical sense, not the type of, oh, yeah, you have to eat everything organic. And, you know, I, it, it, everything is sounds great in theory, but once you try to implement it into your life, it's very difficult, mm -hmm. you know, especially if you're busy, you're working, you know, two jobs or, you know, you're a mom and you work in a full-time job and you get your kids and everything, you're trying to help with the homework. And then at the same time, pay attention to their mental health, you know, something that for is I feel like it's spoken about a little bit more openly now, but definitely it's been something that was taboo. And it's, and it's still a lot of people like look at you, look down at you or like, I go through depression, I go through anxiety. I remember at the start of my journey, um, mentioning those words was 
you know, people automatically would look at me like I was crazy. So I learned you don't say those things, mm. you know, or they would be like, oh, you need to be on medication. I'm like, no, but I don't want to be on medication. I feel like I can, I, I'm strong-willed enough that I can deal with this stuff. I just need help to get there. And I had, you know, some, the therapists definitely were instrumental. I'm not a fan of therapy because a lot of times therapists, I feel like it's just theory. You know, some of them, like I was talking to somebody about that um, from one of my followers and I was, she was like, the therapist has no anxiety, has no depression. How are they going to be able to relate to me, what I'm going through? Mm. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, what the, my last therapist that I had, I started getting, like, I ended up cutting her off because she was great as a source to vent to, but like, the, and my, it was my experience with both therapists, but I didn't really see it with the first one that they basically put me in a box of theories and they were trying to figure out which one I fit into. Oh uh, yeah. Label. Okay. Yeah. And label me. Oh, so, and I didn't realize it until one day I was talking with her and she was like, I was reading up on this theory and what you're seeing actually sounds remarkably similar to it. So I think this theory, you know, of the, from the psychologist probably applies to you. And I'm like, wait, anything I said, like, I'm not, it's not just a theory. This is actually what's going on in my life. And I need advice or, you know, maybe not advice, but get the advice I can figure out on my own to trial and error, but I don't want to be labeled or I don't want you to try and fit me into a box (laughs) of, uh, oh, you know, this theory of these depressions and blah, blah, blah. You know, and granted there are benefits for different people, but that's just my, that was my personal experience with it. So I feel you know, and I've spoken with other individuals who they are just as effective in helping other people as not not being therapists and being just real authentic people mm. who have been through anxiety, who have been through depression. And it's the the, the just of how they got through it has been, in my opinion, more effective at helping others than theories of what's going on. Mm. I think I posted it on my feed. Uh, I'm a huge fan of how the question how opposed to why like mm. and I feel like therapists they, they they try and focus on what and why opposed to how to overcome and and you know once you figure out what the root is how to get rid of that they just kind of a lot they're at least the therapists I've had experience with they focused a lot on why you're feeling the way you're feeling right and who cares how I'm feeling is oh why why I'm feeling why the way I'm feeling it's how do I get to where I want to be feeling that's what's important to me. Unless you can help me do that, how, unless you, then I really have very limited time, energy, and patience to interact yeah. mm. Well, I think it's one, one is about with the why you're living in the past when you want to live in the future, in a sense, and you want to mm-hmm. learn how to move on and, and get to the next step rather than just rumbling about what happened and, and being stuck in the past trying to understand or fix or whatever like stuff like that you just just want to move on and 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 mm-hmm. yeah it is because you're not gonna if you're if okay you have a flat tire you, you ask why do i have a flat tire yeah, literally you're gonna, gonna fix sit it. there <laughs> you're gonna get the flat at six o'clock p.m it's gonna be 10 p.m well why did i get a flat you know <laughs> did i go over a nail did I go over a shard of glass and my tire is bald? But if you ask, hey, how can I fix this flat? You you know, you get this flat at six, by eight o'clock, you might be moving again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good analogy, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really impressed by how 
aware and how uh, happy and how I don't know what's the right word. I think uh, genuine and down to earth are the ones that come yeah, to me. Yeah, I really, you're really strong. I, I don't, like, I can't even imagine what growing up in an environment like that is. I, I, I can't even imagine it. I can try a million times. I'll never realize it. But I'm sure it would damage a lot of people and, and to get out of it and to grow in a matter of like four years, right? Uh, to be where you are now in four years, I I feel it's really impressive. Like you 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 have something in you for sure that you're really strong. Um, and and yeah, it's it's impressive. <laughs> really, Thank you. it's it's amazing uh, to be yeah to be this way to have this mindset to listen to you right now like. You, you, your mindset totally shifted. Like you're projecting yourself, like in in your life, and you're working your ass off to get where you want. And and when I feel like a lot of people, you know, tend to always play the victim naturally when something mm -hmm. bad happened. Uh, and and you have this perspective of like, all right, yeah, that was shit. It sucked for sure. But now I need to. I don't know, catch up in a sense and, and just do my thing rather than just crying about it every single day. And, and I mean, you need to be strong to do that. And <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And that's something a lot of people, you know, I, when I will talk to people, you know, DMs or people on social, like, oh, you know, you're, you're a really strong person. And it's like how, you know, some people were kind of like thinking that I'm like a lucky charm and they interact with me talk with me that they're gonna just like get these vibes of strength and their life is gonna be fixed and i'm like no i put a lot of work into you know into developing myself into this person that i am you know um i remember doing i did the psych course psych 101 i did that that was hard you know it took a lot of discipline i can't it's really tough for me to sit down long periods of time and study i'm not a reader like uh and we're talking about you know watching TEDx talks, which I enjoy, but it's fine when it's five minutes, but when it's an hour <laughs> TEDx that you're watching and you're talking about all these, you know, psychologists and psych psychological terms that you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, this was fun, but this was a little bit more of a challenge than I anticipated. <laughs> um, you know, I, and, and then you, you know, grind at it little by little. And then, you know, I, I, I decided early on, even with my first therapist in 2016, certain words I was not going to use certain words like victim that was not, I was, and I, and I, and she kept trying to get me to understand that I was a victim. And at first it was, I, of course it was a bit unhealthy. It was like, I'm not a victim. You know, I had, and she like, we had no choice in the way you were living. You were put in that position without having any ability to get out of it. And then eventually race more recently, I've come to root, except, you know, when my second therapist in 2018, yeah, I am a victim of the circumstances. I was a victim in the past, but I'm not a victim in the current. And I made clear to both of them um, that I wanted the way I, re I referred to myself was as a conqueror, someone who was an achiever, uh, 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 somebody who was victorious. Because I knew at that, at that time, I don't know, I, I guess it was intuition or it was just reading, uh, doing the psychology, how, you know, 
with this word association. Um, I knew that I did not want to relate my identity at that time to being a victim because that made me feel disempowered. Mm-hmm. I knew that if I followed the victim, you know, when you think of a victim, what you know, what what do you think of? Like you're not thinking of somebody who's a powerful, strong person. Yeah. Like, like at least in my mind. And, yeah. mm-hmm. Somebody who's weaker, somebody who is fragile, somebody who needs to be supported and taken care of because they are not capable of doing it for themselves at that moment or they no longer can. And I knew that's not the way I wanted to be. Um, I didn't want to view myself as that because I knew that I wanted to be somebody who was going to be able to adjust and be able to move forward, push through. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite things to listen to, my sister would hate me for it because I would like blast it loud on the speaker would be like fearless motivation YouTube. I would just play them, you know, for hours and and, and talking about failure because I remember failure was something I was so afraid of and, you know, uh, uh, just pushing yourself and not giving up and not settling. And and she would be like, could you turn that crap off? The guy's just yelling. (laughs) She's like, the guy's just yelling and there's music playing in the background. I'm like, but listen, listen to what he's yelling at you. Like, <laughs> you gotta, re- you gotta change the way we gotta change the way we're thinking. The re- our reality is that the way we see the world before is not the way the world is. So, you know, I put hours and countless hours listening to stuff like that, and then you know, of course, I get introduced to David Gogg and Eric Thomas, um, Les Brown and stuff. You know, that keep down my journey listening to different motivational speakers, and like, I'm not, you know, I forfeited listening to a lot of music. You know, when Drake was dropping his new album, I'm, I didn't even know, probably till a week later, my friends were like, hey, did you hear Drake's album? And they're like, I'm like, oh, he drops the album? I didn't know. Because I'm sitting here listening to this other stuff. You know, I'm making, I made that my priority. Because your mind literally is the computer to your body and the way you live. And if you are allowing your mind to enter a disenfranchised state, if that's even a word, you're allowing yourself to go into a disempowered state, a state where you can't do stuff for yourself or you're limited in what you can do for yourself or, or, or just allowing yourself to reminisce on the past uh, or negative experiences, then your future and your present is going to be, well, your present is going to be miserable. What you do in your present is going to affect your future. Yeah. And you're now, your future is going to be miserable and unproductive. Yeah, in, in a sense, I feel you, in a really short amount of time, you've managed to like, rewire your brain and unlearn years of um conditioning mm-hmm. uh to just yeah just shift the mindset and shift your thoughts and 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 from there it's impacting your actions and and what's happening in your life right now is just the direct impact of your thoughts and your action and everything else uh mind-blowing man to see to talk to you right now honestly like the to see where you are i'm amazed <laughs> i think too something i left out was that last thing i said the biggest thing too is you gotta want it if the person doesn't want to not see themselves as a disempowered person if they don't want to see a change in their life yeah and they're comfortable with those terms of victim uh uh you know uh, i i you know they want to automatically diagnose themselves with something because it makes them feel comfortable and fuzzy inside then dude you can scream at them all you want yeah. you can give them everything but they don't want it they're not gonna it's not gonna benefit them yeah if they don't want to hear it nothing's mm-hmm. gonna happen yeah 
And I think that's probably the biggest thing that has helped me because I want I wanted to change. I wanted to see the world for the way that it really was. Once I understood that, hey, I'm living I was living in, in the matrix my entire life. You know, and I want to change and I want and I want to see what the real world actually is. Mm. What well, something just came in my head is about how it's what I was saying at the beginning in a sense, you know, like we I take everything, I take life for granted, you know, I take my normality, my education, everything for granted for that's just normal. That's just what it is. Uh, and man, like listening to you is just like, I've got to be grateful for everything I've got because it's not normal for everyone. And like personally, I've been lucky uh, and, and we take so much stuff for granted in our life that I can't even imagine how much you must appreciate to work, to be outside, to just see the sun, to go to the beach in Florida and, and like just little things in life. Like you must appreciate them so much because for 20 years you've been locked and, and, and you, you weren't able to do all that, that we all take for granted. Like how many people live in Miami and go to the beach once a year, you know, like yeah. they just take it for granted, it's there, I'll go tomorrow and just end up never going, you know, uh, because they just take it for granted. And then coronavirus happened, it's locked down and everyone is complaining they can't go to the beach. It's like, you haven't been for one year. Why do you care anyway? <laughs> you know, right on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> but suddenly like we are taking it away from you. So now you miss it, you know, like, and mm. we take all this stuff for granted when, man, like I don't even imagine how the the view you must have on life and on everything and how you must appreciate like every minute and, and everything you're doing and, and it must be amazing. So the, the funny thing is, you know, when you're saying this, I'm like thinking in my head, you know, it's true to an extent, especially the first two years. It's like, you know, the, the human brain is, is very interesting. It's looking for a place to find, uh, okay, well, I'm good. You know, it's trying to find that homeostatic level where you're like, I've got my routine, I got my balance, you know, this is what life is. So I remember even myself, probably, you know, this last year before even COVID, finding myself like, you know, like this is monotonous life, you know, not uh, really being appreciative and grateful for everything that I have, A, accomplished and B, am experiencing in my life right now. And like when COVID hit everybody else, it hit me just the same. And I was like, yo, I took a lot of stuff for granted. You know, and, and since then, I've especially worked on putting the effort to consciously be great, grateful for stuff. And, you know, it, it was work. It took a lot of work, even in like, you know, my, 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 one of my biggest struggles that I've had with my therapist, um, and I let go of her just in the end of 2019. So I had 2018 and 2019, I had her for a year um, or, or more. And I, it was my my ebbs and flows of depression i'll be good for a week two weeks three weeks and then i'll do depression to start and but it wouldn't just be like oh i'm up here and i'm depressed it'd be like i'm getting depressed i'm getting depressed I'm getting depressed mm -hmm. getting depressed i i see it coming but there's i feel like there's nothing i can do to stop okay. it nothing until i reach bottom and then it just flatline the bottom for a while for a couple of weeks sometimes some months 
two months and then it started going back up and say I'll start feeling better. And it was because I was taking a lot of things for granted. So the hardest, you know, when I, when I, COVID came and it happened, lockdown, blah, blah, blah. And I'm starting to, you know, get depressed. And then I hear this theory about gratitude and, you know, I'm really, you know, being grateful and how that changes your perspective on life. I, it took a lot of work for me to consciously start programming myself to be grateful. And then I remember one day when bad stuff was happening to me and then subconsciously, but not subconsciously, it just, ha- it just came out and I was like, well, you know, I'm grateful that, you know, it's like my, it was like if your air conditioner breaks in your car and you're like, you know, my, my AC is broken, but I'm grateful I have a car to drive. Mm-hmm. And then I like heard myself and I was like, the, I have a problem that's an expensive problem, but I'm still grateful. I'm still finding gratitude. You know, like, yeah. okay, I've made progress where I'm, I, I put in enough work that my brain is subconsciously looking for stuff to be grateful for. Yeah. So, and, and I hear, you know, and I feel like I'm just talking a lot and I'm just going on and on. That's but <laughs> there, it, there is, you know, thinking back, of, I, I think back a lot of times to things that I appreciate, like learning to play basketball and, you know, learning to drive and stuff like that. I think thinking back to where you were and where you, and where you are, now how you progress that's so important but also thinking about how things that you will be grateful for in the future is such a different take on gratitude that actually forces you to get creative you know on things to be grateful for you know i'm going to be grateful for that person when i when i actually find that person that i'm going to be able to be in love with for the rest of my life and get married or i'm going to be grateful for the moment when i'm actually able to graduate and be a, a fitness trainer you know, it, 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 it forces your, instead of being like, hey, I'm grateful I'm alive today. That's a very generic, I feel like, way of being grateful. Because mm-hmm. if you, you were alive yesterday, you're alive tomorrow. But if you're, I'm grateful for that sunset, and I'm grateful because of the red hues that are in that sunset that I don't see that shade of red every day. Or I'm, you know, it's been a while since I seen that shade of red. It, it allows, it, you're making your brain actually be grateful for things. Yeah. Wow. I'm so, I don't know, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna listen to this episode again, you know, just to to hear you, because uh, just listening to you is great. Like you, um, you could definitely help a ton of people, uh, because you've been through stuff that obviously, like, in a sense, other people have been through. So I'm sure th- the fact that you got out, you can help people, but also you have this, you have something, I don't know what it is, you have something, like listening to you is just like really inspiring and and the way you pick the words you're saying, etc. Like you, you, you're really good at it. And, and, and <laughs> I got it half the no. time. I'm like, am I communicating or articulating? <laughs> am I using the big boy words today? <laughs> but like you, you, you could help a ton of people and like, put out content, like speak up because a ton of people can, can learn, I think from, from you really. Well, it's thank amazing. you. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I always doubt myself because I'm like, you know, and I try not to, but I always doubt. And I'm like, do, do I actually have the experience? <laughs> like, like really we, what experience we, we do all I do. have? We, we, we all do yeah. that. It's fine. It's, it's normal. It's human. <laughs> that That's uh-huh. fine. But no, it's just actually, it's, 
not I'm an overthinker, so I'm just not overthinking <laughs> it and just turning it on yeah. and just recording it and just throwing it up there. You're not the only one doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so you know. Okay, so that's that's normal. <laughs> yes, very normal. <laughs> Well, it has been so, so lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, you're just so brave and so strong and so inspiring and just humble and intelligent and wonderful. And just, it's crazy that you went through all that and you're this guy now that like you just seem so happy and so positive and looking for the future, like looking forwards. And I, I feel so proud of you. Like yeah. I've literally just <laughs> met you. I'm like, yes, I'm so proud of you. You go get it. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Um, but thank you so much for being on the episode anyway we've loved this episode I've loved talking to you if people uh, want to get in touch with you uh, where's the best place to find you uh, Rise Body Soul um, my website I have a phone number there my Instagram um, Twitter I King Davis those are probably the best quickest ways to probably if they actually text a number on my website would be the quicker way because Instagram throws you into like a queue of <laughs> people. I know you're waiting for a while, and you know I'm trying to get through it and live my life. <laughs> I'm running, you know, running. I'm running all the time. So that's probably if you type the number on my website, that's probably the best way. Or Twitter, I King Davis, um, because it comes up immediately. On I get a notification for message. Yeah. Okay, I will link all your contacts in the note of the episode, so everyone can reach out to you. Uh, if anyone has any question if anyone wants to work out or whatever i highly recommend to get in touch with hiking uh it's been really great to speak to you i'm re yeah, really really thank I you so it. much for for accepting to be in this episode i really appreciate it that was amazing thank you so much <laughs> yeah, thank you jeremy and rosie it's really, it was really nice hearing your perspective and seeing what you guys are saying it was so nice speaking to you so thank you so much for listening everyone um and we'll be back next wednesday with a brand new episode so make, you, make sure you tune in for that one thanks for listening and have a good day bye